what's crack a lacking? I don't know what you've been up to. Uh, not a lot. There's a, you know, still a leak in my ceiling, so, you know. <laughs> Is that the dead possum the leak where... Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, filtering so there's, through um, a dead possum skeleton. So I don't know if we're if we're we're including this in the pod, but yeah, there's a. Uh, we'll see. There, there is a, a dead possum in my ceiling, and uh, the rain comes in. You know, filters all up around the dead possum and the te- possum for food. flavor. Yep, all that flavor, all that marinade, and then it drips down into my kitchen, which is really nice. And then I, you know, told the real estate agent. The real estate agent's like, "Oh, it's a body corporate's responsibility to fix that." body corporate oh that's the uh owner agent and then you know the owner agents are like oh well that's actually body corporate and then body corporate's like well that's actually owner agent and so we're ping-ponging back and forth and i'm like there's a goddamn dead possum in my ceiling and it's getting all of its juices in my kitchen could you please sort yourselves out anyway yeah so might stick uh, might stick the possum story in at the end we'll uh we'll see uh, how we go (laughs) over the end who knows uh so today uh we're talking about software i do believe or should we talk a little bit about how the uh last the last the first video podcast went i'm not certain what you're referring to there (laughs) we got uh, i'm looking at it now i'm looking at the video now we got 182 views i expected to get two views which would be uh you and me so that's pretty good (laughs) We also have ten subscribers. Didn't didn't 10. see that one coming. So yeah, we might have to have a uh, okay. twenty subscriber party. Just just for those twenty subscribers. Yeah, have a twenty subscriber party. What do you reckon? Well, not actually certain what the outreach potential is on that. Or or even we can have a giveaway. You know, twenty subscriber giveaway. I think you and I need to talk about that off mic first. <laughs> Yeah, look, that probably won't happen. So how about we do an intro and then we'll decide how much of that to include? Yeah, look, I don't know how much, but we should probably cut a lot of that out. <laughs> okay. So uh, welcome back to the second episode of the Get Good podcast. Getgood.cg. Hello. Uh, with Jaden and Chris. Today, I believe, based on the long-winded preamble we just had there, that we'll be talking about software. Is that correct, Mr. Jaden? Yes, yes. Today we're talking about software as promised in our first podcast. So I did... Last week I talked about uh, some software-related things uh, and how I spoke to uh, a Blizzard artist, a senior prop artist, Ashley Warner, and what her thoughts are on the software that you should really be using. And so, mm. the the short the short narrow of it is, it really doesn't matter what you use. You can use 3ds Max, you can use Blender, Maya, Modo, uh, SketchUp, probably not SketchUp, and it, it's really about what what you can do and how fast you can do it and how good the art is. Realistically, as I've been told, once you get into the industry they kind of just teach you the software on the fly. They're really looking for people that can learn. They can learn new software as it comes through because software is updating all the time. You know, if mm. five, 10 years time, Blender will be very different to what it is now. And so will a lot of 3D softwares. 
and so you're kind of expected to learn and develop over time as you move into a new studio you know there will be some tools that you haven't used before and so that what they're really looking for is someone that has experience in a production pipeline and someone that could just really make good art now answer me this is yeah. that just for modeling or is that for That's... all avenues look i think for animation that could be a bit different i think ultimately they're going to be looking for someone that is capable of doing good animation but to be honest here, here's my feeling on it i think that anytime anytime they hire someone if there are two equally skilled uh, applicants the one with the software advantage is always going to well, I think at least always going to win if they've got a you know, pretty similar per- personality, pretty similar um, portfolio. And the main difference is the software then, you know, they yeah. will probably choose that person over. But if they I th- check all of the same boxes, the person with more boxes gets the job is what you're saying. Yeah, I, I assume so. But at th- that point, it's probably, you know, fairly minor differences. But I think from my experience working in architecture, it's fairly similar where, you know, there's a lot of different software in the architectural industry. One of the biggest ones is Revit, um, among others. And honestly, I've been hired into firms not knowing the software. We've had people start that don't know the software. And it's just an expectation that you know a bit of design, you're willing to learn, that you can learn. And, you know, you kind of just learn as you go. You kind of just get thrown yeah. in the deep end, really. It's just think, if you don't know the software, the deep end is just a little bit deeper. I, I agree with that when it comes to freelance because it is just the work that matters, freelance and contract work. They send out, you know, whatever form of bounty it is, whether you're doing the contract or whether they're just asking for a deliverable. And as long as they get that at the end of the day in the format that they're looking for, it doesn't matter. But I think when it comes to integral pipeline stuff, I think it does become a little bit more important. It's kind of like saying, if you can code in C sharp, but you can't code in Python, you know, and we've got a Python coding job. A lot of people don't have the time in the day to teach you that stuff. And a lot of the biggest studios in, in my application history uh it it does seem like they're looking for something a bit more specific that's a bit more plug and play especially when as you say when it comes to animation and rigging and any of those more technical art areas i think it does become important for instance if you're an after effects technical animator you're used to setting up compositions in after effects that does not mean that you can use Nuke. And Nuke is the, you know, the industry standard for compositing on feature films a lot of the time. And technically they're the same type of software. And and anybody using After Effects, if they've never seen Nuke before, they're not going to just be able to pick that up. They're technically doing the same job. But at that point, it does start to matter. Like rigging in Maya, rigging in Maya and Blender... If you know the concepts, yes, you can muddle your way through, but there's going to be very software-specific things. So I guess what I'm saying is that I think the more technical the position becomes, 
the more I think they expect you to know a particular software set. I think that that's probably true, especially for coding. I think uh, for I think for modeling and texturing, it, it probably depends on the studio and the art style that they're doing. Um, but again, from my architectural experience, it really depends on the firm that you're going to. Some people will be dead set, you know, I really want someone that knows AutoCAD or someone that knows Revit. And then a lot of firms will also just, in fact, I think most firms will just say, well, we prefer someone that knows our soft, their software, but if you've got experience in the industry or say you're a graduate and you, know, you can demonstrate that you're a good thinker and you're a good problem solver, then we'll invest the time in you to teach you. Mm. And from it's almost, you know, my it, conversations... It almost seems... Go on. You, you finish. I'll, uh, I'll jump in at the end. Yeah, so my conversation with Ashley and also some of my classmates in that class who do currently work in the industry, they said that there's, at the start, there's this sort of, you know, period of grace where they expect you to not really know uh, not only the software, but the way that specific studio does things. And so they mm. give you this time, you know, however long it is, a couple of weeks or so, to pick things up and sort of learn on the fly. I have to admit that for Blizzard in particular, which is the studio you're talking about, there's a fairly notorious art test that gets administered before you even get into that position. So are you they, saying that it doesn't matter what you do that art test in or is it is it Yeah, so it you can, you know, use whatever you want. Uh there is an art test obviously to Blizzard, but uh, you know, from what I was told by you know people who worked there, they said that it, it's less about the software you use; it's about the art that you can make. And in, you know, their, their main their main software is uh, 3ds Max at Blizzard, but hmm. there are artists that don't use 3ds Max. Everything has to be able to import into 3ds Max just because it's their main software. But they have hmm. artists there that are using things like Maya. Yeah, there's some tech debt uh, burden for you. <laughs> I don't. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a school these days that's teaching 3ds Max, let alone graduate artists who are coming out with the software knowledge for that. So it probably becomes less important, or at least more important, to be software ag agnostic, because if like Max is old, like it, it's getting updated, but very lazily. It is getting phased out by Autodesk and. That just speaks to me that they've got all these custom tools that they're using that they've made for Max, that they're not willing to give up or re sort of create, and so they have to get more flexible in order to hire people. Yeah, I, I think that's probably very true. I think she did hint at Blizzard using, uh, you know, their own custom tools, and you know that's kind of yeah. expected. I think a lot of studios do do that. I know. Ubisoft has a heavily modified version of, is it Maya? Blender. Um, Sorry, you were um, breaking up there a little bit. Did you say Blender? I was saying that the, I think there's a, there's a modified version of Maya that they use. Most studios, mm. it's kind of hard to tell with Maya because Maya is sort of like a platform. It's like a universe that you base your studio's pipeline on rather than a tool really in itself. Mm. Um, but I'm pretty sure the cinematics department at Ubisoft uses a modified version of Blender because they've been releasing modules like the 
multi-user file extension that they just released for 2.9. That's interesting. I thought that they would be using, uh, you know, Maya at least for the animations with the cinematics. Um, I, th- I think it's a difference in team. I think it's a physical location thing. Mm-hmm. I do know that the, um, the, the Ubisoft cinematics team is a, it's a very different, it's almost like a subsidiary company. Oh, okay. Well, I think to pull it back onto the topic we're mainly going on is what sort of software do you use to get into the industry? Uh, you mentioned software agnostic. I think you're probably right in saying that because you know when you and I first met, I think that was when Substance Painter was just coming out. Yeah. Do you remember that? Uh, look, I remember the big thing being, like, not to old man all over this, but I remember the big thing being uh, Dido, the Quixel Suite plugin for Photoshop. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The procedural curvature maps that um, you could load, a, like, an OBJ file into Photoshop and then yeah, actively and think... generate damage for PBR textures, and that was, like, the new thing, because up until then it had just been the regular Quixel tools inside of Photoshop and actually painting in 3D was a big deal. Oh my god, 3D painting. And <laughs> like when you look at like Dido and Endo and for you know you kids out there that don't know what that is, it was just really basic Quixel tools in Photoshop. And I remember I mean, the time people really making a lot of fuss about it. And now it it got outdated so hard so fast. You know the industry yeah, has the, changed radically. Once- in the last 10 years. Once we went to towards PBR, the curve really just hit because that was also around the time that Avatar was coming out and they were popularizing Mari, which was the big high-density texture painting programs from the Foundry. Um, Avatar is in Space Pocahontas or Avatar um, The Last Air? Avatar, Space Pocahontas, not the... Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the I think you're referring to the M. Night Shyamalan masterpiece... Uh, (laughs) so for my my point my point is that yeah at that that time substance was sort of punching above its weight and it it actually looked pretty ascendant until adobe bought it and then people left it like a sinking ship (laughs) um they still use it primarily in the industry i should say but yeah it's yeah, uh, it's really a shame that Adobe bought that software because as soon as someone like your Autodesk or your Adobe buys out a company like that, they get so comfortable so quick and there's just too many interests and it just stops being exciting to use. Yeah, that's something that really frustrates me is when a big company buys out a small company or a piece of technology. And, you know, you saw, I think one of the most recent... One of the so most Autodesk recent ones. Bought. Sorry? I was just going to say, it, it happened with um, Arnold Renderer as well. Um, Autodesk bought Arnold and then just packaged it in with Maya. And that was a renderer that was doing some pretty amazing things at the time. But now, uh, it, they're still implementing, you know, white papers and stuff, but it's just not as exciting, you know? There's no company, like, so, I think it was Solid Angle was making Arnold. And they had a very active team. The documentation was fantastic. And as soon as they get subsumed by Autodesk or uh, Adobe, these companies just sort of go quiet, like uh, Quixel and Epic. 
Yeah. Uh, has Quixel really gone that quiet? Not as really quiet as the it. others. They, they've still got their own identity, but it's the same sort of vibe. It's like they, they don't have to be as scrappy, so they're not. Yeah, I suppose that's true, where they kind of just don't really need to create a lot of hype because they've got this big corporation just backing them. Yeah. I mean, out of all of them, I think Quixel's the one that took my preferred method, which is to maintain your identity, but just lean into the help. Yeah, yeah. Well, Epic has also bought out ArtStation, if you didn't hear. Yeah. So there, there was a little bit of concern around the art community. I was reading on Twitter that, you know, will it favor projects that are made in Unreal or Quixel? And you know, Epic's been pretty good with that though. They've a lot of the free stuff they've done. There's like a hard line where it's like you have to pay for it if it's not being used in Unreal Engine, but it's available if you want to pay for it. But I think with Epic, anything that they offer for free, they don't sort of throttle it or preference anything. I think that they, yeah, as you said, Epic, they don't really seem like the worst evil corporation out there. Um, I don't get the same vibes said, as like with Adobe or Autodesk. Yeah, that being said, I, I just really don't like the idea of, you know, three, four large companies just competing with each other and buying up all of the small innovators and then kind of yeah. just I mean what's that uh, that Parks and Rec joke where it's like uh, set, set a little bit into the future and they're like, they're like proud to be one of America's seven remaining companies <laughs> <laughs> yeah like except for the CG industry it's like looking like it's going to be four companies five companies who knows yeah, there'll be there'll be Disney and then some Disney subsidiaries. Yeah, and <laughs> honestly, it, it's happened not only in the CG industry; it's happened in architecture as well, where you've got Autodesk that bought up AutoCAD and Revit. I'm not sure if and Autodesk Katia. created. Sorry, Katia as well. That was a really exciting one when I was in high school. We were using that on a lot of sort of graphic design project. Well, not sorry, not graphic design. Um, sort of three D design where simulation stuff was uh, more important. It's it's sort of like uh, it's it's the the way a friend of mine described it was AutoCAD but live. It's sort of like AutoCAD hard to describe what? live. So it's it's not right. really a game engine, but it's got a lot more like active simulation and stuff going it's probably not the same thing anymore but um autodesk snapped that up i think and then just started implementing that in all their other products it's like what happened to soft image to soft what soft image i haven't heard it was uh the it was the third modeling package that autodesk bought out and so they had maya um 3ds max and soft image Soft image, soft image. There's, I don't know what it's actually called. I've heard both. Um, soft image but then sounds they, more accurate. Everybody I knew called it soft image. I came in saying soft image, and they were like, "What? I bet you say Z brush as well." <laughs> soft image. Um, sounds wacky. You know, you have to go on the path to go to the garage to use soft image. <laughs> uh, so we've really tangented and really gone, I think, off topic. Uh, I was just going to say that they ended up completely nixing soft image. Like it wasn't mm. 
it wasn't even released anymore. It wasn't available. And then all of the functionality that they needed to keep the artists who were only using it, they just implemented in Maya. And so then they did a pipeline thing where they moved everybody onto Maya and a lot of people ended up in Blender anyway. But the, the point was that as long as they strangle it slowly, they eventually want to get down to one software solution for each problem. Look, all hail the mighty Blender. <laughs> I am... I try not to be, but I am a little bit of a Blender occultist, even though, you know, I don't really... I haven't really been using it for an incredible amount of time, but you just... Like, once you start get use, you get to use it, and then you sort of get indoctrinated by all the Blender memes, it's just... It's really just a downhill slope from there. Yeah, it was the memes that got you, wasn't it? I, I remember I when I met you, I was the biggest Blender head on the planet because it was the only thing I had access to. And I think I spent like six months trying to convert you to that. And you were, I think you were trying to get into 3DS Max or Maya or something at the time. I think, no, I think you were using Maya and trying to get into 3DS Max. And I was just going Blender, 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 Blender. Was this when um, we first met? Yeah, no, it was when we, it was when we were um, in that uh, middle classroom with Glenn. Yes, so when we first met. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah and he I, was always I, giving me a hard time <laughs> for the blender thing, but <laughs> yeah, yeah I, and I remember that. I I remember our teacher saying, "Oh, look, Blender is just horrible. Like it's it's free, and you can tell that it's free. It's just horrible." And I was like. Oh man, it sounds horrible. Yeah, nah, screw that. Yeah, no, they, they used to gang up on bad. me about it. Yeah, yeah, and I used to, yeah, I used to give you a bit of crap about it. And then a couple of years later, I was sort of thinking, oh, what software should I use? Because uh, you know it can be a little bit difficult to get a hold of Maya, and you know, in terms of licensing and that kind of thing. So I thought, oh, you know what, screw it. I'll go with, I'll go with Blender. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll try it. And I did the infamous donut tutorial. And at first, I was, I remember opening Blender. This is 2.79. <laughs> I remember opening Blender and just thinking like, oh, it's just, it looks so free, but in like a really bad way that like I assume a, a punsy private school person would look down on a public school. And... <laughs> Oof. And then, like, two months later, I'm just a fanatic of Blender. I'm like, this is the best thing in the world. It's screw Maya. And then Blender 2.8 comes out, and, yeah, by that time, I'm, you know, I'm deep. Yeah, we need a Blender vention for you. Yeah, it's how it happens. The radicalization of yeah. Blender. Well, it's meanwhile, cool. I've sort of... I don't think I've used it actively... For my daily drive is Maya, Maya. How are we supposed to say that? Um, I don't think I've like I've kept up with Blender, but what it's good at, it's good at, and I really wish it would stop trying to do everything. Because if they focused on a couple of areas, it could be really quite something. But the fact is that it does most things. I don't want to say it does most things poorly, but it does most things, and it doesn't do them the best that other things can do them. Yeah, it gets hit with a hybrid tax. Yeah. So, I don't know. Jack Maybe it's got a bit trades. of hybrid vigor. Yeah, jack of all, <laughs> yeah, jack of all trades. Decent enough at, some, at everything, but never an expert. Well, I've been... I have been watching a bunch of Blender tutorials lately, actually, because I'm very aware that my indie license to Maya 
ends mid next year sometime. Mm. Um, and I don't want to have to pay the full price. So I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to maybe get a little bit skilled up on that. Cause I'm not sure how often I'm going to be able to use my home anymore, mm. but honestly it, it does make it easier if you do have that natural software knowledge, mm. circling back around to using it for jobs and how to get into the industry. Mm. Um, knowing that the, the actual physical buttons and tools that you're using are the same, not only in the tutorials you're watching, but in the work you'll be doing. Yes. Makes the habits easier to form. So you're not spending that mental overhead yeah. converting all of that information into something new. Yeah, that's that's like when I went from Blender, no, sorry, from Maya to Blender. I, you know, was thinking as like a Maya user uh, trying to use Blender, and you're just trying to convert. Like, you know, it's kind of like speaking another language where you're just trying to convert things in your head as you're going, trying to figure out. You know, you're trying to learn a new software, but you're also trying to think from the perspective of another software. Hmm. And well. Uh, yeah, it's 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 all the same stuff at the end of the day. It's points in space connected by faces and edges. Hmm. Um, it's just how it, how the software interprets them that changes. And I remember going into Maya the first time because Blender is so vertex-oriented. Hmm. I remember not being able to operate with individual vertices in Maya at the time because it was very sort of oriented around faces and edges. And I just couldn't get anything done because I was like, but I need to lay it out in vertexes before I go... And like put the faces on it because that's how Blender operates. But yeah. when in Maya, you're supposed to be modeling, box modeling at the time in faces. And it took my brain forever to let go of that. But I think it's worth the effort because then you, you do learn to apply, like for instance, UVs. If you learn UVs in Maya and you learn UVs in Blender, you do get a better understanding of what they're actually doing and what they're there for, what they're good for. Mm because you're understanding the concepts below the actual software implementation side of things. Yeah. And honestly, I, to, to, to go back around to the actual topic, I, I think we've all said that 50 times by now, but. Well, we're getting there. That, it's like a, you know, a barge on the sea. We're just turning slowly. <laughs> yeah. I think like the fact that they are all just vertex edge face orientated programs, at least as far as modeling goes, you know, if you're, say, you're wanting to get into a studio or sort of an area where you're going to be using Maya, sure, you're going to have a sly, you're going to have an advantage there in terms of when they're looking at you, they're going, okay, well, we're not going to have to teach this guy, you know, Maya from the ground up. So, you know, that is a also... plus. But at the end of the day, what they're looking at is they're looking at what sort of art you can do. What, yeah, like it comes down to your portfolio, no doubt. But what, what it also is, it's a view of the professionalism. Because if you come in with skills for Maya, that's almost why Maya isn't as accessible to the beginner. Because you know that if art comes out of Maya, there's at least a bit of buy-in. You've either gone through into a course, which is offering the educational edition, or you're paying a bit of a premium to have it, which means you're taking it seriously. I So if you look at... Maya art at a certain level versus Blender art in aggregate, even though there's no reason to believe one is going to be superior to the other, you do have a bit of an 
assumption built into that that one is more professional because one is more industry focused and anyone can really pick up blender and start doing donut tutorials do you know what i mean <laughs> yeah i mean yes i do i get what you're saying there but i think at the end of the day even though that's more of like an unconscious sort of thought process i think at the end of the day what they're going to be looking at is your art por your portfolio and oh yeah no no, no no doubt no doubt what yeah, i'm saying is that if they have to choose between the two they'll go with the one that feels like the more professional fit i suppose so i yeah i i just feel like that's a, a i don't know i, I feel like in the... not so many words you've said that in this podcast <laughs> yeah well let's just edit that part out i suppose <laughs> uh do we want to like go on to another topic or okay pretty much what i'm saying is that software doesn't really matter it is the art it is your portfolio it is what you can prove that you can do but it sort of doesn't matter until it does because yeah, there, are, th there are times where it will matter and there are times where it will feel unfair that it matters, but it does matter. And this is actually something that I've been running into at the moment. I'm sure we'll talk a bit, bit more about our circumstances and what we're actually trying to do at the moment. Um, but something that's really been affecting me at the moment is trying to read between the lines with job applications, um, what they actually want to see. Because a killer portfolio is going to get you in pretty much everywhere. But if you don't have the kind of work that you need to get a particular job that you want, you're going to have to do as much of that work as possible, but then also have some other factors like can slip straight into a production without having to be taught the software and maybe have a bit of like resume and experience stuff. Because like the, the portfolio will kill any issues there it, but if you don't have that strength of portfolio specifically in the thing you're trying to do it's not the only factor so for instance how do i say it's the less work you have specific to the job you're trying to get the more stuff like software and your resume becomes important yeah i i generally agree with that I think, yeah, like you said, mostly mostly your portfolio is going to matter and there are going to be times where it comes down to the margin of, you know, m maybe this person, their, their, their portfolio is not as good, it's almost as good, but look, they've got pretty good software efficiency and they tick all the same boxes, plus they have that box of uh, Maya or whatever it is ticked. So, you know, we'll give that person a try. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll push back on the point that maybe their portfolio isn't as good because I think in that particular case, the better portfolio will still win. I think there's, a, there's additional factors only really come into play when you have a good portfolio. It's just not necessarily targeted at the job that you're trying to get. So for instance, I've done a lot of freelance in 2d animation and i've done a lot of advertising stuff mm. i'm trying to become a 3d character animator and i'm trying to get a job either as like a rigger or a character animator or something more targeted in cg 
I don't have the portfolio for that. That's what I'm working on at the moment. But you don't have what you don't have. And when they look at my portfolio, they can say, hey, yeah, either that's good or bad. Like portfolio, in this case, it would be a showreel. Like that work is work. You've done that professionally. But it's not the work you will be doing. So we don't have the confidence that you'll just sort of slip into that. And there's going to be this time overhead of there's only so much I can make on my own onus to a professional quality standpoint to put in a brand new showreel before I can actually get work that then demonstrates I can do the work. And that is when I think the software matters, when, it, when it's easy to take a chance on you. Yes. Yes, I, I agree with that. And I think, I think to pick up on the point that you made about targeting, uh, slightly off topic, but related to finding a job in the industry, is that at least for modeling and texturing and that sort of thing, targeting your portfolio to the actual studio you want to apply to is super important. So for me, I love to work at Blizzard, So and specifically on WoW. So for me, what is going to be really important is to really lean into stylized, hand-painted uh, art assets and environment art. And so if you have a portfolio that has really done that has really in has really lent into uh you know specializing yourself and making making the person at the studio sort of look at that and go okay yeah he's he's talking to us this is not just a portfolio that was made to go everywhere this is a niche portfolio specialized at us this person has developed their skills in mind to come and work for us and there's the upside and the downside of that is where it really does increase your chance of getting that sort of dream job that you've wanted wherever it may be mm. but you do kind of niche yourself a little bit in that where it's less general it might not be as easily applied to a lot of other studios depending on you know how you've really specialized your portfolio and you know maybe that's another case where the software might be important where you've got a really sort of niche and specific uh, portfolio, say with stylized, hand-painted props or hand-painted environments, it could be at that point where, you know, say I might really struggle to find work at, uh, you know, studios here around Australia just because, you know, the pipeline that I'm using at least at the moment is more or less just modeling all in Blender, hand-painting like 90% of it in Blender and then touching up in Photoshop. Mm. I think... You know, hey, here, while the work... I, I agree with that. Um, I think that might actually be a bigger topic. Do you want to maybe commit to an episode on not only portfolio, but portfolio coming from, you know, uh, more remote and non-traditional backgrounds? Yeah. Because I, I think there's a lot there. We could, we could start out talking about what should be included in portfolios in general and then sort of move into that. But I think that's a bigger topic than the scope of software influencing that today. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, more f the point I was trying to make in that is that software will matter in situations like that where you've got a very specialized portfolio that is not going to be as common through the industry when you're mm. scrolling through jobs. And so... If you are thinking of doing that, then possibly that is a consideration for you where you think, you know, maybe at least if I'm going to specialize my portfolio, then perhaps I should do it with the tools that are most commonly used in the industry mm. in order to 
increase the probability that this portfolio is going to get me a job somewhere else in something that is less ideal that will get right. my foot in the door. Yeah, think thinking forward a bit and saying, yes, I'm doing something very niche, but what what is a way that I can do this that ensures that the skills that I'm gaining outside of the actual completed work are going to be immediately transferable quicker to another type of work if that becomes necessary or desirable yeah exactly yeah cool yeah no i think um i think that sort of summarizes it a little bit it's it's interesting i talking about uh this from the side that we're on really because and this is where i am going to be segue man onto our second topic for today um because t- talking about this in relation to what should be in your portfolio versus how you've made the things in your portfolio, it's it's interesting to talk at from our perspective now because both of us are not necessarily job seeking, but the whole <laughs> get good progress. You, you just found that funny because of the whole job seeker thing, didn't you? Yeah, that is a really niche thing that only Australians will get. <laughs> we'll talk about that if you want, but uh, the point I'm trying yeah. the, the the point I'm trying to make is that we're in this stage where we're trying to take what it is that we have done, which isn't nothing, but which we're both trying to do something a little bit more specific than we have done in the past, and we don't necessarily know what's going to work and that's the documentary aspect of this is that we we have our we have what we do know from what we what we have done and we have our expectations of how it's going to work and what we're going to do but we honestly don't we don't know beyond the best case scenario what's actually going to influence the type the kind of work we get moving forward and i was wondering if you wanted to talk about that for a little while yeah for sure uh, it's definitely going to be one of those, in, in hindsight, we'll be able to post some of those memes, uh, expectation versus reality. And I I, I have a, a, a very strong feeling that the reality will look vastly different from the expectation. Well, it depends. It depends because everything I've read about uh, trying to get somewhere in particular rather than just trying to get somewhere is that you really do need to have a specific goal that you're heading towards. And the more specific it is, the better. Doesn't mean you're going to end up there, but it means you have a, a better idea of what you're going after and ha- what you need to do in order to sort of break down back from the goal, the steps you need to accomplish in order to achieve each milestone towards that goal. Yeah, and it's better to have a, a bad plan or a bad goal than not have one at all. What's the What's the old military one? The uh, you know, it's better to take a mountain than to wait around picking one. Just take the mountain, and if it's the wrong one, take the next mountain. <laughs> I've I haven't heard that one, but that's pretty good. Yeah, uh, it, it comes down to like you have to be moving. You can't steer a parked car, and this entire project, this whole get good project, is designed on our expectations and what we're trying to accomplish and we're trying to sort of document that as we go but also share what where it is that we are because we're in that sort of muddy middle point where we've been doing stuff 
So we we do have some knowledge that we can sort of share in hindsight, but we haven't quite gotten to the level that we think we want to be at or that we're comfortable at. And that's a really interesting perspective, in my opinion. And it's why I think it's interesting to share it as we do it, because it's the sort of place that not a lot of people talk about. It's I can do some stuff, but it's just not great yet. Yeah, that's definitely it for a lot of people. And I think for a lot of, I, I think this podcast could really be useful for, you know, quite a lot of people that are not only listening to it as these episodes are released, but in a bit of hindsight 2020 on how, how you can really go about it. Hopefully this podcast series can be useful to, you know, artists in five years time where they have done some stuff and they really just, they're on the verge of sort of burning out and they don't really know where to go next. Then hopefully you know, they they can look at our slow-moving train wreck. Yeah, well, that was a... That, <laughs> they can learn from it. That was another That was another alternate name for the podcast, wasn't it? It was um, burning upward, like, instead of burning out, burning up. Oh, or... uh, yeah, burning upwards, something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. Um, but there's also, uh, you know, we could have had slow-moving train wreck.cg or something yeah, like that. something like that. It's something really honest, you know. <laughs> but getgood.cg, that just a uh, pretty good ring to it. Yeah, it's what we ended up going with anyway. Is we just sit around trying to name a thing that doesn't exist yet, sort of diminishing returns. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the way we came up with it was we had vaguely said, yeah, maybe, and then you made a Discord server for it. And yep. I think you just named it on a whim and we're like, cool, going with that. Yeah, I think I think I named the podcast get getgood.pod. Um, and then the Discord server couldn't be that because it's a Discord server, so I just put .cg at the end and then that stuck. Yeah, I mean, it's more .cg generally just for the podcast name is a good way for, I think, just people generally in the CG community to sort of identify that. And Yeah, and that's the thing is that the other reason that I wanted to record this specifically is uh, so that we can then also look back if it goes somewhere and then we can look back on our assumptions and we can talk about those assumptions and why we had those assumptions. Cause right now everything we're doing is assumptive and mm. in the future, some of those will pan out and some of them will not. And <laughs> we'll have the, we'll have the data to sort of look back at that and be like, well, we thought that for this reason, why did we think that? And did it go well or did it go poorly? And it's hard in the moment to sort of estimate that, but that's my intention and it's the intention I'm going forward with. Um, now that we've finished blowing hot air up our own skirts, I think we should. <laughs> should we, should we, we did this last week, but should we just again sort of reiterate, not only to ourselves, but just to you know, the, the fine people's listening, what our expectations are, and, but just this time do it very quickly in you know a couple of sentences or less oh look i think i think we covered our uh, what our expectations are pretty well do you, do you think it would be better if we just sort of went into a bit of what we are personally trying to do materially because yeah. we went into intentions i think it's time we look at more practical yeah. steps what we're working on the yeah, problems sure. we're facing because it once we get the problems we're facing there that sort of contextualizes the next steps and any sort of advice that we can then derive from that. Yeah, let's do that. Um, you go first. Right, I'll go. Yeah, I'll go first. Uh, so the things that I'm working on 
right now is I'm working on an ArcViz project. I'm working on rendering uh, an apartment. And I'm also going back through and doing my old CGMA class uh, assignments because when I was doing that class, I was working full time. And I just, I learned so much from the course, but I just didn't have enough time in between my full-time job to really commit as much as I would have loved to. And so now I'm going through and I'm just polishing everything. And so the first thing that I had done was I did a orcish battle axe, uh, sort of a grunt axe inspired from WoW. Mm -hmm. And now I've done that. I'm going back through and I'm doing a sci-fi phone booth. It's sort of meant to be kind of for the Overwatch universe. I, I'm not sure if I really hit the mark on that, but the design's there. I've just got to get it out polished. And so it's a London-style red phone booth, but sci-fi arised. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, I'm just going through repainting all the textures. And for, for a long time during that course, I was really umminaring about the software that I should use to create these pieces. And for me, I just went, look, I think what's going to matter for me is just to have a really good portfolio. Mm -hmm. That's what I really want. And so I'm going to just do everything that I can in Blender and then touch up in Photoshop. So I'm just using Blender's uh, texture painting tools to paint all of the textures uh, and then... You know, it's kind of annoying because I used to be the 3D code. 3D code, beautiful, seamless integration with Photoshop. So I'm just kind of, at the moment, in Blender, bouncing back and forth between uh, Photoshop and Blender. I'm using Blender the vast majority of the amount of time just because it is a little bit finicky. Mm. Because in Photoshop, you can use all of the tools you want, but you can't edit that PSD in Blender, like it doesn't, Blender doesn't understand the PSD layers like 3D Coat does. Mm. And the reason why I'm not bothering with 3D Coat is A, I'm cheap. <laughs> and that, that's the most important one. But also B, I just don't want to learn uh, another software. Like I, I learned it well enough and I did do some stuff in 3D Coat, but I understand Blender, Blender better. That sounds like an area of growth to me. Yeah, I mean, I just, I understand Blender better. I just want to get the art. For me, it's all about the art. It's less about the software. Mm. I just want to get the quality of the portfolio up as high as I can and as fast as I can. Mm. And sure, there might be some time-saving things within 3D Coat, but there is also the advantage of working as much as you can in one application within Blender. Yeah, yeah, I... I, I... Something that has always come up for me and has always been true is that a good pipeline is a robust pipeline. So I, I understand why you do want to maintain the tools and have the same shortcuts and all that sort of stuff. But I kind of disagree a little bit in that a robust pipeline allows you a little bit more modularity because if you're not working within the specific files for each of those programs you learn how to see it as an object outside of those programs 
which allows you to use what is best the best tool for the job at the time. And I get mm. I get the whole cheapness. We're all cheap at the moment. Um, <laughs> but, you know, for me, it's always been worth learning something new to make it better. And I do it too much. I definitely see the new and shiny and I want to learn the new and shiny. <laughs> and I never sort of like rest into anything. So I do see the, mm. the, the value of sticking with the thing that you know in order to create the art. But I think... I think what's going to become a pretty solid theme on this podcast is me trying to draw you out of that shell a little bit because I think, I think learning a little bit of uh, texture painting in a more industry standard software is going to do you a world of wonders, especially now that something like Mixer is free. Yeah, look, I I definitely agree, and here's the thing: th- th- there's a reason why I'm I'm going screw it, focus on the art, just do it on the one program. It's not just because I'm cheap, but I've had the same experience of, oh, new and shiny software, use that, new and shiny software, use that, to the point where I've used a lot of them and I am at least familiar with them, yeah. but I just keep jumping around and it's like, oh, I just want to get some art out. And so I've kind of told myself, look, just finish off these CGMA stuff in Blender you know, I'm, I'm doing at least the first two out of the three that I am doing in Blender. I'm going to think about maybe doing the last one in 3D Coat. I'm, I'm going to see how I go with that. But I thought... Right, that, I that's actually a pretty good way to approach out. it, to, to do the most of it in your familiar software. And then at the edges, sort of branch out a little and start to explore new areas just bite by bite. Um, yeah, that does sort of start to fold into the subject that I think we'll be talking about on next week's podcast. We want to sort of address productivity and that's something Mm. I'd really like to dig into the whole sort of having a written down process and actually getting work out because that's something both you and I have struggled with in the past um, and at, uh, at different levels right now. But just to sort of circle back around onto the topic about sort of where we are at the moment what's your what's your goal what's your end goal what's your deliverable what do you want to sort of have at the end of this project at the end of this project i want a nice little art station page of my sci-fi phone booth with you know the render in uh what's it called sketchfab and then have a sketchfab link to it and basically the end of this project, not just the project of the sci-fi phone booth, but going back over the, the three TGMA uh, pieces is to get them to a pretty good level. While I'm going to get them to the best level that I possibly can, I don't really expect that they will get me a job. Mm. I'm just trying to get them to a, a high level. The reason why I've picked three is, not only does, does three feel like a bit of a good number, but the advice that I got from my teacher was have at least three really good pieces to get a job in the industry. I don't personally expect to be able to get that to that level where I can suddenly just get a job, but I do want to push it as hard as I can to get those three pieces and so that I can at least start applying at places, not expecting to really get a, get somewhere, but just to get my name into some studios, 
to get some experience in applying and, you know, God forbid, maybe a bit of luck, but I doubt that. So, so to sort of summarize, what you're trying to do is get three pieces of work that you can replace instead of add. Yeah, more or less. Just have, not more or less, yes, just have three pieces of work on my art station rather than just the random crap that's on there now and send that out to some studios get rejected a bunch of times get experience in being rejected like that and you know maybe maybe some luck will come by and i'll (laughs) i'll I'll land somewhere but it's not likely I, i just honestly want three pieces that you know they might not be the best in the world but you know i'm proud of it I'm pretty happy with the work that I've done so far with that class. Yeah, that's actually that's actually a um, future thing I'd like yeah. to talk about on a future podcast as well is um, how to how to course because something that both how well, to course how to course yeah because both you and I we've spoken about this before I can only speak from my experience but it sounds like you had a bit of this as well early on it's just that. You sign up to these courses, they're online only, they're sort of very self-motivated. You have access to instructors and trainers and all this sort of stuff, but it's really on you to make the most out of them. And sometimes, especially when they're community-driven, like uh, you're supposed to be actively contributing to these community courses and getting feedback and doing all of that jazz you just sort of drift away from it as life gets busy and it's really hard to commit unless you're doing it in a very intensive manner, which is very different yes. to in-person brick and mortar education, which is getting less popular these days because of the expense and because of the quality level. But the one thing mm. that it does give you is the intense atmosphere The you are submerged in it. Whereas with these online portals, it, there's a very high bar to sort of go in there and get the value out of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I could go on about that for a long time, but <laughs> I'll save it for the next pod of when we do talk about that. Yeah, so we'll put that down as a topic as well. Is there is there anything else you're working on or is it just sort of that particular? So, without going into too much next week's topic of productivity, I'll, I'll dash it into a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, I, what I'm really doing at the moment is I'm doing an hour in the morning of my ARC viz, which is what I'm focusing my actual business around. Mm-hmm. And then I'm basically spending the rest of the day on doing these three projects one at a time. I've got the first one, which was uh, Orkish Grunt Battle Axe. That's done. I'm on to the second, which is a sci-fi phone booth, London-themed. And then the third one is uh, Teldrassil Night Elf Boats, for those of you who you know, have played well. <laughs> and so I, I'm basically doing it in terms of how big and complex those projects were. So the axe was the simplest. Then it will be the phone booth and then the boat, which had quite a bit going on on it. And so, so what's the, what's the over under on, as in like, what's, what's the benefit that you're deriving from going back and polishing the work you already did, as opposed to trying the assignment again and seeing if you could do it better a second time around. I had thought about that. And honestly, it was kind of, I, I don't want to admit it, but yes, it was, I threw it in a bit of the too hard basket, but at the <laughs> same time, at the same time, it's a bit of real world practice 
a lot of the time you're not going to just go get some feedback and go, oh, I'll just start this again. You know, that might happen in the industry, but you know, if I had an extra week on these assignments, then realistically I wouldn't have been starting them again. Mm. There's a slight chance that I would have, but realistically I would have just built on the feedback that I gotten. And honestly, so far in the the work that I have done, I haven't needed to redo them. The the axe was it was just, you know, add some edge loops, make that fatter, right. just paint some more onto it. So so you went back and you looked at it with the information you now have and it's one of those things where you look at it and you're like, this is just unfinished, not this is wrong. Yeah, it was just unfinished because the great thing about that course was that you'd get a feedback video from the tutor and she she would just, you know, do a paint over in Photoshop and sort of give you a bit of a critique on what could have been better, what could have been worse. And honestly, like the, the feedback that I got was, you know, just things that didn't require it to be throw in bin start again. <laughs> I I did think about I did think about starting the whole class again, but it, it was it it came down to I didn't think that was necessary and also I'm just not patient enough to start again, especially when I don't have to. Yeah, that that's where I usually end up end up is that I'll I'll I will chuck in bin, I will start again, and then I'll get frustrated that I have to do it again. So that's probably a more yeah. <laughs> realistic way to approach it is just to fix what you have. Because yeah, honestly, think... humans don't like doing the same thing over and over, <laughs> which yeah. uh, animation struggle both. But... I I think what's going to be beneficial for me in, in having those things finished is that it will be a point of reference for me to look at that and go, that's what I can do. Let's see if I can do better. Whereas if I was going to start again, then that bar would be kind of lower and those projects that I've done would be, you know, a lot less finished, a lot less presentable. And I'd have less of an idea of what I'm capable of Mm. and how much further I can aim above that. Yeah. So it leaves you in a position to feel like you're, breaching the bounds of your current knowledge rather than trying to get back to where you were previously exactly Exactly. well i might take i might take the mic from you there in that case because that's something to ask what are you uh what are you working on now it's it it is very much in a, a vein of that except that i'm sort of caught in the position you were trying to avoid in that i had because of the work i've been doing over the last few years everything I had was too old to go back and fix. Like, you know, your project files wander off. You're, you know, you can't remember what you were doing at a particular point. And then there's nothing to polish, so you do have to start again. Um, I've probably mentioned it before on the podcast, either last week or earlier, this, but I am trying to be a character animator, either for games or features. I am an animator in that I've done a lot of sort of advertising and motion graphics stuff, uh, mainly 2D, but a lot of like 2.5 CG 3D stuff. Um, What I'm trying to work on at the moment is getting together a 3D character animation portfolio. But because that is a process that takes a very long time, 
uh, especially coming from zero and I'm trying to do it all self-driven. I'm not doing a course at the moment, which I'll put an asterisk on just there. Um, the, it's, it's a very long process and you're using this, this sort of feeds back into the software topic that we were talking about in that for character animation, the environment you're animating in is the environment of a production. And so if you're animating outside of a production, you sort of have to come up with all the rules yourself. Uh, so, you know, where the camera will be, what you're trying to say, you know, what the story is, um, even if it's just a movement that's going to end up as part of a sequence in a game or something like that, you really do have to contextualize it. And a lot of the work I'm having trouble with at the moment is finding adequate justification and contextualization. I'm... I'm working on a shot at the moment with a just like a free rig that I downloaded off the internet, which was supposed to be like a one hour daily, but it has ballooned in scope because outside of the one word prompt that I gave myself, because it's a double, well, okay, hyphenated, but it's supposed to be a double take because a very traditional animated animation sort of practice thing that you do is a double take where like there's a change of emotion where they are thinking one thing, they notice a thing, and then they do a double take, and then they're feeling a different emotion having seen it. Yep. Um, it gets it gets both it gets longer both ways to try and contextualize the main action, uh, because there's no shot leading into it and there's no shot leading out of it. So on its own, it has to feel longer because otherwise it doesn't really sit on a show reel. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if you do stuff like a hit or like a jump or a flip, that stuff just doesn't look good in isolation on a showreel because it's like done, you know, it's like, Mm. and then you need a lot of those built together or you need a longer shot. But the longer the shot is, it is logarithmic in complexity because then you're having to transition between multiple actions and your brain doesn't treat them like that and all flows through and you have to figure out how to do that without making it seem too pose to pose and you don't want it too mushy. It just explodes in complexity. And that's what I'm really fighting with in this current shot is the fact is that I think I've learned everything from it that I'm going to learn, which is why it's a real, it's a real struggle bus at the moment because I need to decide whether to abandon it and work on something that might end up definitely looking better or taking it through to polish. And initially I chose to take it through to polish, but it's just fighting me because of a lot of choices I made early on. And so those early choices are what are making so much work for me now, which I know now. And if I did it again, I wouldn't make those mistakes, but I'm trying to get a portfolio together. So I'm sort of, stuck between a rock and a hard place you know so when you're saying move on what do you mean exactly do you mean start a new project i mean either reanimating it and taking half the time and abandoning the current version or doing a different shot i think it could be probably the the most useful thing for you would be to just start it again because if you start it again then all of those decisions are already made. And, you know, whenever whenever something crashes, what does someone say when you lose work? Well, it's almost faster the second time. 
uh, and I think that's probably true because you've made a lot of those decisions, you've done a lot of those actions. If the project file is really giving you a lot of grief, then maybe it is worth you just starting it again. It is. It is on the cards. It is definitely something I'm considering. I'm just worried that that's just another justification for abandoning a project because if I do that, I'm starting again and I really don't have anything to show for the hours and hours and hours I've spent on this current project. Well, that's not true. Well, no, I'll have something to show for it if I complete the second go, you know? Like well, I have It's not it's not that you're if you're starting it again, you're not abandoning it. You're just going okay cool i've figured out the what the animation is i figured out all these things this is getting a bit too complicated you know rebuild it you know it's the same project you're not abandoning it yeah no i i get i get what you're saying it's just the main problem for me is the fact that no matter how you frame it my goal was to finish something and so I have to figure out whether or not it's worth taking it through in the state that it is to finish, whether or not it ends up on my portfolio, or I do the thing that I'm accustomed to doing, which I'm more comfortable doing, which is saying, I've learned everything that I can learn here, and then trying to do it again, which is just a really complicated way of restarting, you know? Like, that's the way that I normally do things, and it hasn't led to showable work up until this point you know how you mm. wanted the three things on your art station you're not expecting them to be good necessarily but you want to at least have them there yeah that's sort of what i'm struggling with except that i'm looking down the barrel of another <laughs> probably 50 hours of work like yeah i the the general advice i've gotten from the cg community is just finish a project it doesn't matter if it doesn't come out that great just finish it so you've got something to show for all of that work but but is is the finished project polishing something that i don't think is working very well well you're getting a bunch of experience in that like front end kind of thing but you're not getting experience in polishing yeah exactly that that's precisely what i'm running into because i've got I've got blockouts for days, man. Like I, I do a lot of blockouts. I occasionally get into the habit of doing, you know, an hour, two hours worth of blockout in the morning, and I just come up with new fun scenes to do. But I, you're right. I don't have that experience polishing it and bringing it to a proper standard. But when the animation itself doesn't feel worth polishing, that's when I get into this position. Yeah, I. That, that's a tricky situation to be in, I think. Because when you're... Feels like when sunk, you're, sunk cost fallacy, you know? Yeah, because when you're, when you're working on something and you're just not a fan of it, it is so hard to keep the motivation up. But I think, ultimately, for this kind of thing, it is worth following through to the end. So that, first of all, you can get the experience on those later stage polishes. You'll have something to show... Not, not only have something to show, but you can see your progression. You can see, you can have those in your portfolio. You can have them on your YouTube channel or whatever. And you can sort of watch through as you improve. Mm. And you can, not, not only are they block out things, but you're seeing actual complete animations and they're just getting better and better every time. Yeah. 
it just it it really doesn't help the timeline because I gave myself two months for this, and we are we are rapidly approaching the end of that time where I'm gonna have to start looking at because I I made an agreement with my wife um, that I would take two months off to work on my portfolio, and that's sort of feeding into this decision as well is because I've come to the end of it. I've learned so much. Like seriously, I have leveled up in skill. I just don't really have a lot to show for it. It's better to have something than nothing. How far off two months are you? Uh, end of this month. So. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, you've got six days, I think. Six, <laughs> six seven days. Which uh, is why I'm thinking about it. The original project, I kind of have to abandon that. I've negotiated for a bit more time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <coughs> Sorry. Well, uh, look, I think... Her, if if I was in your situation, for me, for my CGMA projects, it was either finish what I've got or restart the actual projects that I did. So remodel the axe, remodel the phone booth or whatever. The reason being is I didn't want to have to go through and redesign all of that. I wanted, you know, I'd already done the bulk of this design work. The design's were not that bad so i wanted something to show for all of that i wanted something to show for that course mm. you want something to show for this two months so you might as well have something and the the best way for you to do that would be to follow it through not abandon it because realistically if the next thing you move on to you're probably going to do the exact same thing <laughs> that's the so thing you, that's the you, main you might as well not take that gamble you, you might as well not lick a, a, a bus during covid <laughs> you know a bus pole whatever because that's don't not say uh, to... don't say the c word we'll get we'll get uh youtube canceling the video okay well you okay in editing just bleep that word out nah well, well let's live a little yeah, hello. just don't say it again okay <laughs> but you, you might as well just finish it. You might as well have something to show for it because if you don't, you, you're taking a risk of being in the exact same situation you are in now and going, yeah. damn, I should have done it. I should have just followed it through. And I am dangerously honest, aware of that, which is the problem yeah. is because even then if it becomes, it becomes the right move to quit on it, I'm not going to take that and I'm just going to sit like keep struggling with it um i'm aware of that now which is why i've actually started sort of doing half and half time with it i'm spending a bit of time on that and i'm also doing uh this uh character design course i've had sitting uh sitting there for a while it's a zbrush stylized character course by a guy called shane olsen sounds fun i've heard that name yeah he's he streams on zbrush central quite a bit yeah right uh I think this kind of leans into the productivity uh, podcast that we'll be doing next week. But yeah, I think okay. it's it's great to to have, you know, the main thing that you're doing and then have something on the side that you do. Mm. Uh, I think it's good to give your mind a bit of some, something else to entertain itself with because you can't grind the same task over and over for days on end otherwise you'll burn out oh, way faster geez. and like 
we won't go too deep into this because yeah. next podcast, but yeah, I, I'm doing that as well. I've got my archivists and my game art. You've got your character design and your character animation. And honestly, those two things feed into each other really well. Yeah, no, it, it's, I, it is intentional. Um, I, I like the idea that eventually once I've got my character and rigging chops up a little bit, I'll be able to animate my own characters because I think I'll find that just more interesting and be more willing to commit to that. Cause at the moment I'm doing a lot of performances based on these really nice rigs from the internet. Some of them that, I, that I've just sourced and some of them that I've bought, but the fact that it's somebody else's rig is really struggle city when it's supposed to be a personal project. It would be very satisfying to see your own character come to life like that. You can sit there and you can concept out a personality. You can design a visual sort of personality to that and you can make it come together in one sort of holistic And it also piece. it also crucially broadens the skill set that I can apply for because then I do open up some other avenues if I can't get a cg 3d character animation position i've got a bit of rigging there i've got a bit of modeling there um what what do you think would be one of the more employable jobs in the cg fields more more related to games tech yeah besides rigging obviously because i from my general understanding is that rigging is the most employable <laughs> It, it is black magic and you need to be at equal parts art and equal parts code, which I, I almost am. Uh, I just, jeez, oh, coding bounces off my brain like nothing else. Like it's just it Bounces unique. off your smooth, smooth brain. Yeah. It, it, like I can, I can galaxy brain ways around this a lot of the time, but it's tricky when you know you could solve problems with just 10 minutes of scripting and you're spending three hours on it. God, that would kill you, wouldn't it? Imagine knowing that there is there is a solution that would take you 10 minutes, but you don't know that, so you have to, you have to spend three hours doing something else. I mean, that's every beginner's problem, right? They spent nine hours hand-retopologizing something that you could have just remeshed because it doesn't deform, you know? <laughs> yeah. But the main the main thing is that, yeah, I, I think I am headed down a path of a bit more diversification because though it would be nice to have that specialty, my background is in a generalist sort of area and I feel like my strength is there. And I feel like if I don't lean into that, then I am seriously sending myself back to preschool a little bit. Well, with character, sorry, with with CG more generally, is we no one really knows where it's going to go. No one knows how much things will get automated and how much a character artist role or an animator's role or an environment artist role will change. And that that can change really quickly, as we've seen over the last ten years, where something could be very employable to not very employable. And a lot of the people that do survive those sort of seismic shifts within the industry are those who do have a diverse skill set. Uh, certainly. Yeah, I remember reading in, I think it was Deep Work, Deep Work by Cal Newport. His sort of thesis for the entire thing are that the jobs of the future are going to be, like the, the people with the highest leverage skills are going to be the people who 
maintain what it is to be human. So the things like art and the things like creativity and different ways of interpreting things, but also know and understand the purpose of the machine and automation and have a bit a bit of an affinity for tech. And if you can't sort of balance that line, you will become slowly more irrelevant because as communication and you know work from home models get better, every company is going to have access to the best of the best in the world. And so there's not going to be a regional advantage. You can't say, oh, well, I'm in Australia or I'm in Tanzania or I'm in, you know, Germany. There are smaller companies here that will employ me at the level that I am and use that as a springboard to get into like a Hollywood studio or a big AAA game studio because all of those little companies now have access to the best talent as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's that really kills me thinking about that. <laughs> but... What, what, what was that book called? That sounds pretty interesting. A Deep Work by uh, Cal Newport. There was another one he did called Digital deep... Minimalism, which I thought was really good as well. Okay. Yeah. I'll your your microphone's gone real quiet. How's that? Better. Yeah, okay. I, I moved it about half a centimeter away from where it was. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's them uh, non-condenser mics for you. Yeah, it's just a gaming headset. <laughs> I'm on the uh, Blue Yetis. Ah, uh, the Blue Yeti boys. Yeah, I'll get one of those eventually once we've got our uh, millions of subscribers and a Patreon. Which is a pretty good way to uh, lead into where the good folks listening to the podcast can find you around the internet. Ah, uh, yes. I will let you do that first because I cannot remember what my social media links are. This is going to be a bit, isn't it? Every every week I'm going to be like, so where can they find you on the internet? And you'll be like, well, you let them know because I have to go check something. Car noises. <laughs> yes, that is exactly right. So, Chris, what are your socials? Well, you can follow me over at in- Instagram at uh, Chris Kirst which is my first name, Chris, and my last name without the first letter. Uh, and how there, do you spell your last name? A-K-H-U-R-S-T. So it would be K-R-I-S-K-H-U-R-S-T. It's Chris Kirst, as if I'm cursed. <laughs> yeah, uh, really over, there, this. over there, I'm uh, doing some... I, I'm, I'm intending them to be daily. I don't know how I'm going to do with that, but I'm doing some sketches of characters that I... I'm then going to take through and use the modeling stuff. I'm learning in that course I talked about uh, to sort of do some of my own projects there. So the concept will hopefully go up over there a little bit. So it's probably worth going over there to check that out. Uh, Then you can also follow me at Platamancer over at Twitter. I am going to choose one of those. So it will be that at both of those uh, eventually once I've got my stuff together and once i've got something to show i'll also be setting up an art station so watch this space is that yeah, enough uh, vamping for you jed uh, yeah yeah and i think generally like you guys are saying that all of these links will be in the bio at least of the youtube videos which as long is... as Jaden remembers to do it yes and just so you know the if, if you're listening on spotify or wherever uh the youtube channel is just chris and Jaden spelled K-R-I-S on YouTube. So you can find me on ArtStation. So 
it's artstudents art station slash jaden j-a-y-d-e-n starache s-t-o-r-a-c-e you can also find me on uh, instagram at j-s-t-o underscore visual then there's also my other instagram which is jaden.ray spelled r-a-i and then you can also find me on twitter which is just jaden storis yeah i think we're gonna have to like pick two things in the future <laughs> yeah. just like two two things and choose two for the week because we're getting a little bit long-winded with these ones yeah i mean like with the magic of editing we can just do this again do you want to i mean i don't yeah. think it's worth it i'll cut out yeah. this little bit but no, no, um, leave this bit in yeah oh no that's up to you i don't know listeners let us know do you like the behind the scenes do you like the uh the raw uh the raw under the covers sort of style stuff or do you like it a bit more polished and clean you have to let I mean, us know otherwise we won't honestly who who's even listened this far a hundred people man well um don't look at the analytics i haven't and i don't plan to <laughs> i'll look at the comments if they're nice yep there, there's a comment on our last video mm-hmm um, and it is by a friendly, it is by a friendly YouTuber called Chris and Jaden saying, please sub XOXOXO. And that is a reminder for this video slash podcast. Please subscribe, like, comment, share it around. Wow. I love that our first comment was so supportive. We'll have to, we'll have to do more of these, uh, comment shout outs. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll see everybody we will see you because we're watching you from the window, but you won't see us because this is an audio format uh, next week. And we're going to be talking about productivity, uh, the ins and outs of what we found that works, what we found that doesn't, what we're trying at the moment, and maybe some, uh, some more good old stories from the vault that we find interesting and that hopefully you won't find actively insulting. Yes, and we promise next time it'll be a little bit less tangenty, although we do tend to break promises. So, well, I don't know, man. We're, we're recording the next one directly after this, so shh, shh, the mood's kind of hot. Shh, they aren't meant to know that part. We'll see you next week. See ya. If we get if we get a bit more interaction, I have a Discord server sitting here ready to go. If you'd like to have a bit more of the uh, constant access to two people you don't know, uh, we can deploy that just as soon as we have any confidence there'll be anybody in there. <laughs> Maybe we'll yeah. invite a couple of your friends because I don't have any. Um, <laughs> and then that you know, like when a busker puts some coins in the thing to make it look like other people are donating. Mm. So we'll, yeah. we'll put a p couple of people just into the discord server. So people don't get embarrassed being the first one in. <laughs> yeah. Like I think honestly, overall our, our first podcast, I think it went pretty all right. I was surprised with how many people actually bothered to watch it and that we got 10 subs. Nice. And I think, yeah, to pat ourselves on the back, we did good kid. Oh, but mate, you got to get good. Uh, we've got to get good at getting good, but... Uh, getting better, yeah, at least. We're getting better. And yeah. you there at home, uh, if this part hasn't been edited out, 
can get good alongside of us, uh, of our slow motion train wreck. I mean, at this rate, anybody who jumps on and wants to interact with us, you have a 100% possibility of making it onto the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you want to get on here and you seem like a very sociable, well, not very, a, a at least somewhat mildly sociable person, you're on. <laughs> I just mentioned that we'll shout out the comment, but apparently we're opening the doors, so give us a oh, go. Yeah, 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 yeah. If, if, you, if you were to come onto this podcast and, and you're talking about getting good, then feel free to message us and... Uh, we might uh, have you onto the podcast and you could talk about how you're getting good and you can share your random opinions. Although, you know, this is a decision that we've just made on the fly, so this could be retracted. Oh, well, you know, I've got the stage in the Discord, so once the empty Discord's set up, we can set up an empty podcast stage. Um, 